When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston. I'm your host today, back again. And we've got plenty to discuss today. We're recording after Manchester United's defeat against Bayern Munich 4 3 at the Allianz Arena. And I'm just going to go through what we're going to discuss today after some orders from my fantastic producer. So, in the first part, we're going to look at the Bayern Munich game and dissect that. And we're going to talk about Anana's mistake, of course. In the second part, we've got a little bit of unrest coming from the dressing room. So we'll discuss that and get into that in some more detail. And in the third part, of course, we'll look ahead to Burnley, which on Saturday evening, United are making the trip across to Turf Moor. And now to join me across these next 45 minutes, two of my favourite people in the whole entire world, my two colleagues, Samuel Luckburst and Rich Fair. Samuel, how are you? Very well, thank you. Good to hear. And Rich, have you recovered from someone stealing your Wrexham ticket uh, in midweek? What, what happened with that? Yeah, it's basically someone went to the uh, Wrexham ticket office, pretending to be me, they didn't check the ID or the reference code. I was ticketless at one point for Stockport away on Saturday, but thankfully uh, someone has come good. So I, I am, I'm back on course for the doubleheader, Stockport away at 3 p.m. and then Turf Moor at 8 p.m. as well. So it's all fine. It's the all thing fine. is, Rich, there has to be some consequences for being famous. As Samuel knows. There, there's, there's, yeah. As Samuel knows. It's, it's quite, um, quite impressive, actually. Normally you've just got nut jobs online who... Didn't pretend to be you, but this guy actually, or this this woman, whoever it could have been, they they've gone the whole hog and 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 they've got away. Well, not got away with it, but it, it certainly worked to an extent. But I'm glad it's been sorted anyway. Yeah, Rich. thank you. I'm very relieved. Much. Absolutely relieved. Say, for you. Your your bar must be very low for two of your favourite ever people in the world, wasn't <laughs> it? Uh, I mean, I say what I do when I get paid. Do you know what I mean? I can say I say certain things when I get paid a certain amount, basically. Anyways, into the football. Uh, Samuel, you out in Germany uh, with Tyrone. A nice trip across to buy Munich, a fantastic stadium. Um, I think you guys made a lot of the comparisons between the two clubs before the game. And Bayern Munich, obviously, I think they're 12-time Bundesliga champions consecutively or something ridiculous like that anyways. Um, look, 4-3 in the end. If you said at the start of the game that United were going to score three goals away at Bayern Munich, you think, fantastic. Yeah. It would have been a great result. Um, but it wasn't in the end. And Bayern Munich opened up by scoring twice, 2-0, um, after a really good start from United. So... That, that, that really positive start that had a mini collapse and I think from after that they didn't really look like getting in, into the game or to getting back into the position to win for me um, what did you think about that and how did you, what was your general verdict really as the game went on? It was a difficult one to write because United kept on threatening to salvage the game even though they were never really close to salvaging the game whenever they scored apart from the, the final goal Bayern Munich, I think, scored within four minutes of um, of Hoyland scoring and then Casemiro scoring the first goal. And that really does typify where this United team is at the moment. They are mentally weak. They're extremely fragile. The character that was in the squad, that was restored to the squad last season, seems completely devoid in this team at the moment. And you can't fall back on the injuries as an excuse. You look at that team in midweek, Fernandez is the captain, he's a big personality. Martinez, Casemiro, Rashford's the poster boy. It, it must have been disconcerting for 
Ten Hag and his staff to see Rashford look so defeated before half time and this this was happening right pretty much just down below in front of us and McTominay was warming up and he was having to G him up just because he'd lost a, a duel with a Pamecano. But where it only ended four three and going into it certainly a lot of people, myself included, thought it would probably be a, a damage limitation exercise and it was a case of how many by mean it would win by. It it didn't pan out that way and like from from what we understood out there as well the feeling in the United dress room was that there were some figures saying, look, we've got to see this as a as a corner turned, as, as daft as it sounds, I mean, the third defeat in succession. But you could argue that they did go toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in Europe. They only lost by one goal. I know this is straw clutching, but this is, this is the modern Man United and this is the way they have to look at it because if they don't, they're not going to arrest this, this terrible form they're in at the moment. And in so, by, by only losing by one goal... At full time, I mean, Reguilón went collapsed the turf, and I thought he's he's entitled to it because he put a shift in. There were some who didn't, but when they went over to the supporters and looked up at them, the supporters were applauding them. They reciprocated it because there was an appreciation that United had pushed most of them anyway, had put a shift in that they had started well. That had they got that goal, they were always going to have to score first in that game to have any chance of getting anything out of it. Had they got that goal, it could have been different. But this is the problem that we've seen with United this season. There have been three games where they've started really well. They've not struck while the iron is hot and they've ended up losing them. And it's no good just dwelling on the positives of, oh, we played really well for 15 minutes against Brighton, but then we lost 3-1 against Brighton. We played really well against Bayern Munich for 28 minutes, but then we conceded four goals against them. Uh, the Tottenham game being the other one and, and in that game there were zero positives from, from the second half and ultimately they've they've lost again but the Champions League group stage is is salvageable they've they've got five games to to row that back but it's the it's the bigger picture as I said it was a strange one to to write about because in some ways and I don't mean this vindictively as well it would have been had a lot easier had they just been pummeled four nil and you're writing about another ring quest, but it wasn't that. There was some some steeliness about them, even though there were some really poor performances and there were very few outright, genuinely good performances. Probably wasn't even one out there. I thought Reguilón was... He, he was decent, but we all know he's a good attacking left-back. Defensively, he's he's lacking and he's gettable. And Bayern got at him as they got at, at Dallo on the other side. But Reguilón, you could... You could come away from that and you know have have some appreciation for for the performance he put in, but they're still in the rut and they've still lost the game, and the supporters are still waiting for them to really get their season going. It was a weird game, as you've just said, because despite the final scoreline, which is just one goal, Rich, I felt like Bayern had control. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I thought they were the best. Like you said, it's yeah. just one goal, but yeah. that is like is Bayern the, are the best, even. I don't, no, I don't think no, they get second. And that's what I mean. I mean, it, we're talking about a United team who we feel under overperformed, and a Bayern team who maybe even underperformed. And the scoreline was much closer and gave United a, a fair like was flattering to United because. They, they get two. It was similar to when United you know, got thrashed in the derby last year to City, and Marshall scores two at the end, and six three doesn't look as bad as six yeah. one. You know, Casemiro getting two sort of took the attention away from his poor performance again as well. And like Samuel said, I think the the real worry for United is that it isn't like you said the injuries are there and there's the off the field stuff, and of course that has to be considered to a part. But you look at that starting lineup, and if United were fully fit, there's maybe three 
positions you might, might have changed. You would have had maybe Mount on the right wing, you would have had Varane instead of Lindelof, and you probably would have had Shaw instead of Regulon. Maybe you would have changed the midfielder, but I'm still not sure Tenar will actually do that in a big game. So you'll maybe free players short of your strongest 11 there. I know some people say Amrabat instead of Ericsson, and that certainly has got to be a stronger case after the game, but I don't think you can keep on putting to just injuries, just injuries, when, like Samuel said, Rashford was, was terrible. Martinez and Casemiro started the season really poor. And those are the three players last season who every single week were setting the standards and were carrying United through games. And at the moment, they just look a shell of themselves. And it, maybe it is a confidence issue. Maybe they are starting to let it all get a, a bit too much for them at the time. But yeah, there's, there seems to be a lot of problems. And of course, as you probably get onto now, that Onana mistake sort of sets the tone and undoes all that hard work United had, had done in the first place. But what I would say on the caveat of that is the Onana mistake does just sort of knock the wind out of you. But, you know, if you take one of those early chances, that is as big of a mistake as the goalkeeping error for me. And, well, you know, had that big chance yeah, you know, you've got, you've got 90 minutes, you've got, what, 96 minutes with all the other time to put those things right. And, of course, the goalkeeper mistake is going to be scrutinised and people are saying that is the reason United lost momentum in the game. But, you know, if Ericsson's miss is as big a mistake as Onana's goalkeeping error for me. That's fair enough. I think that's a completely accurate assessment, really. On Onana then, Samuel, it feels like a, a rite of passage somehow with United goalkeepers that they have to make mistakes at the start of their careers. David De Gea did it a lot. He overcome it to become a fantastic player for the club. It was a really, really poor effort, wasn't it, from Onana? I mean, the ball kind of scurried under his body. He has to save that. He has to. The Tenal came out in his press conference and he said, look, Sane should have been stopped. The problem should have been addressed before Sane even got the shot off. What did you think about that? And also, I think it's worth discussing his quotes after the game, because to be fair, when he came out and he took responsibility, didn't he? He said, look, I've let the team down. Um, I should have done better. So I thought that was quite endearing from Anon. I, I liked that when he came out and said that. He's, he's living up to David De Gea's reputation because De Gea did exactly that after he dropped one in against Brentford. Maybe he's been season. studying him. He, he, he requested to speak to, to the media afterwards and Anana did that and it was... Yeah, he was, he was very frank about it. it. It was a it was a dreadful error. As soon as it goes in, you think, yeah, that that is a goalkeeping error. We we didn't have monitors in the press box, but we didn't need them on, on that occasion. It, it was interesting that afterwards, I mean, w when a keeper makes a an error that egregious, it is pointless the manager screwed uh, dissecting it because everyone knows it's it's a howler. And I think a lot of managers are inclined to actually look at the build-up and try and like, soften the criticism, which is what Ten Hag did. And this is where, I mean, th there was a bit of unrest in the dressing room before the, the, the buying game anyway. But he's starting to criticise goals where he's not naming names, but he doesn't need to. When he, I mean, when he criticised the build-up to the first goal, all you have to do is go on your phone, type in the keywords, you see the replay and you identify the player or players that he's got to be in his bonnet about. And if, if we can see that, exactly. the players... And, and the, the, the player was yeah. Rashford, who as soon as Arne passed it, the, the thought of even tracking him clearly just does not enter his head because, and this has been an issue United have had going back to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Jose Mourinho as well, Rashford does not like and is not good at tracking back, which is a case with a lot of wingers. They're not trained that way. They don't think that way, but it is expected of them. And I mean, Sane had actually started the game really poorly and he somehow got the man of the match award. I thought Luciala was, was terrific. He, he was certainly the best player on the pitch, but it's a tame shot. It's first time. It seemed that like Anana was surprised by that, but it was more interesting that 
that Ten Hag scrutinised the build-up to it, and then he was going on about the manner of the second goal, which, watching that back, I was I was aghast at how easily Musiala was able to get past Dallo. And it was interesting during the warm-up because we were watching the defenders and there was there was a lot of intense body language. There was a lot of high-fiving and chest-bumping. It's like us at five-a-side, isn't it? When we, when we <laughs> they were pumped up for it. They observed the, the Champions League anthem, did their handshakes, and Dallo broke off and was clapping the supporters and pointing up to them. And I thought, okay, now back it up. He couldn't. There was only one of those defenders who could probably back it up, which was Reguillon, who, as I said, I thought he, he, was, he performed respectably in the circumstances. But how Dallo, and he's well ahead of Musiala as well for that second goal, how he gets bypassed by him that easily. And I know Musiala is quick, but Dallo is supposed to be quick. And this is a player who has not played well for United since November. That is the, 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 that, that is the reality. That is the brutal truth of the matter. And unfortunately for United as well, they can't drop him. They, there, are, there are quite a few players in the squad or the team at the moment in the circumstances that they can't drop because there's, there's literally not an alternative. There's not... Who's the other right back that he could play? Like out now, well, right? Well, Wamba Saka, but he's injured. That's no, no, no. But like, so there's nobody in there. Nobody fit the, and available. Who's the, who's the under twenty three? Well, it was Gerardo. He's yeah, like he's Barcelona. <laughs> Sam Murray. I mean, listeners wouldn't have heard of him. He's Murray he left back, isn't he? Yeah. Exactly. Like it's almost maybe we would call Brandon Williams. I'm not saying that for for a moment. Give Kira Kanner a call. But that culture of complacency. He has five average months. He gets a five year contract. Is it worth naming him? Yeah, I mean, in the mix zone afterwards, this is how bad it's getting. Dallow is normally one of the politest. Ty asks him for a word, completely blanks him. And that rudeness, you don't you associate it with a lot of United players, or not a lot, but some. You don't normally with Dallow. He, he normally actually gives you the time of day, but that's, you know, that's the rut he's in on a personal level. And I thought actually in the previous games, he did okay against Arsenal and, and, and Brighton as well. But they've just got so many problems at the moment, and we're probably not even touching upon the biggest problem in the team, which is, I'd still say, is the midfield. And it'll be interesting to see whether, yeah, with Amrabat, with Maynou coming back, whether that revamp, which is yet to really get started, whether it's a successful restart. We'll get into the midfield in the second part, but for now, Rich, Highland scores, fantastic. It was a bit of a scruffy finish, but for a minute or so, you think, right, there's hope of getting a result here. It's 2 1. And then Harry Kane inevitable he was always going to score wasn't he he was just it was written uh pops up penalty it wasn't a penalty was it and christian erickson it's one of those where if it's in the print yeah, if it was going to go to my team i'd be fuming and throwing things at the tv but i could it's got to the point where it's also like i can see why it was given to a degree because you know it just hit his hand but it's it's clearly not a penalty but again that is for me diversionism from the bigger issues that if you go out of that game and say well without Unana's mistake if we take a chance and without the penalty you know we could have got something from that you didn't, you know, end of the day, you didn't. And yeah, I think, you know, like you said there, Hoyland, he has been the silver lining in every performance since he's played, really. I mean, if you wanted to be really, if you really wanted to twist the narrative, you could say, well, he scored two goals, almost disallowed. He had a key pass against Arsenal. You know, factually, he didn't, but he has made an impact in every single game he's played. And against Arsenal, you know, he he bullied Gabriel for a few minutes. There. He was someone who could actually match that and he was up to that challenge. He's not looked phased at all. Against Brighton, again, if Rashford's passing and decision-making is better in the final third, he has more opportunities to score the goal. The one time he does get the ball from Rashford, he does put it in the back of the net, but it's only got out of play. And, and again, I thought on, on Wednesday night, it was a well-taken goal. And I think he is a real 
positive for United at this moment in time, something for them to cling on to. But I also don't think that it is just trying to be positive for the sake of it. I think, you know, for a start to life at United, obviously it's not been the easiest circumstance for him. He's coming to a front three, which is very unsettled anyway. He's got someone on the left wing who's not playing well. And you've basically got no one on the right wing. I mean, Palestri, you always got to make a case for a player to start when he's not had a chance. But I think we did see on Wednesday night why he's not quite ready yet to be playing every single week. He looked a bit phased in, in the actual environment, which no criticism of him. He's a young player. He's still very relatively new to the United setup on his second start. But for me, I think Hoyland is, is going to keep getting better. And again, like Samuel said, like we'll get on to. When that midfield's functioning and you get a more delivery, and even when Rashford sort of learns to play with him, because I do have one element of sympathy for Rashford in that last season, it was about Veghorst in the middle. So he's like, I'm just going to do it all alone. And he's maybe still stuck in that bad habit where he needs to realise that, look, you have got the strike you need now. Use him. Make the most of him. Try and strike that partnership up. He can make the, the space for you. But you've got to work together. And at the moment, I still think that they're working as a left winger and a striker, not as two teammates. I'm going to use Jude and Sancho's favourite word then, scapegoat. Has Rashford been scapegoated to some extent over these first few games? He's not been no. at his best by any means, but has the conversation around him been a little bit too too critical. I think it's. It. I think when you come on the back of the season he had last season, though, and we were all he was world class last season. The true mark of a world class player is keeping it up over years rather than months. So I think that Rashford, he's the poster boy of this United really at the moment. So I think he has to be fairly criticised, and I don't think there's been any sort of unfair criticism of what he's done this season. I mean, so he's far, not, he's not fired, and that's completely. Who, who has scapegoated him? I'm just, just, just saying a lot of, yeah, maybe, a lot of conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I am the problem. He's, he's had a couple no, of bad I saw breaks, a lot of conversation yeah. on, on social media about, about Rashford. A lot of people are really reliable. Well, Samuel can criticise <laughs> it. Which is, is no, no, no. I, 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 I take your point. The honing in and his running a lot, as you've just discussed. It, yeah. it is I think it's his it decision making, isn't it, really? Is it possible that Ten Hag said, look, this is your role? I mean, you look at Liverpool, for example, and Samuel said, these days for an elite side, you need your forwards to press and they all need to have the same work ethic. Is it possible that Ten Hag said it doesn't matter? To some no. extent, you can be... It'd be, it'd be, a, yeah. it'd be a massive contradiction. Are you surprised at that? Yeah, yeah. I, I would. I, look, in the first two games, he starts up front. We, I knew, everyone knew who watches football properly. He's not a striker. They knew that six or seven years ago. You, you play him in his best position. He was brilliant last season as a left winger. He's played his best football for United as a left winger under Mourinho, under Solskjaer. Okay, and Van Gaal, he, he came in as a striker, but that was emer you know that was break glass and emergency, really, given the amount of strikers they had out. And he was, he was just a fearless kid at that point. But he's a left winger, and everyone's known that for a number of years. R Rich's point about the decision-makers is an interesting one because against Brighton, I... I was struggling as to, in terms of what I should give him as a player rate, whether it was a six or a five, which is quite a big difference. If, you, if you're a five, it's pretty much, I see it as, you've not had a good game. If it's six, you've done, you've done okay. He was United's best attacking threat by far, but his decision-making was so terrible in the game that they, if, if his decision-making is good, they probably get something out of it. They don't necessarily win it, but I, I don't think they necessarily lose it either. And those are the margins. Um... In terms of scapegoating him, I, I, you know, I think he's always had. There's always been an online crowd that, for whatever reason, don't. He's not their cup of tea. I don't quite know why. You have this. It's very odd. There, there are overseas supporters who don't like 
local players. Play. I was gonna, it happens to academy players quite a lot, yeah, doesn't they, it? Like, yeah, they, they're, they're overseas fans who are supporting a club who play in England thousands of miles away. You know, there are some warped people out there. I don't quite understand it. But in terms of his you know, his, his performances this season, I mean, against Jonathan Forrest, he, he had a big role in all three goals. Um, against Arsenal, he, he scored a good goal. He, if he wanted to do the positive spin, he was the biggest attacking threat against Brighton, but his decision-making was poor. I didn't think he was the worst player in, in Munich. I mean, he did not play well, but I thought Fernandes was, was particularly abysmal. And that final, the, the, the winning goal, that comes from Fernandes playing... A, a, a terrible pass and we've seen him do that before and you'd think there'd come a point where he, he finesses his game and he, he cut he eradicates that but when he's you know, one of the issues I have with United in terms of how they collapse is that when I think it was after the second goal went in the other night they all just go back to their positions heads bowed there's no real inquest I think there was one point Marte started shouting and if they keep if, if they don't concede a goal and it's out for a corner, it's high five central. And it's like, we've done really well here. And that there are still elements of, there are still cultural elements there that are lingering from the previous regime, which is quite well timed given what Solskjaer was, was saying this week. And a lot, some of the things he said were sensible in his interview with Andy Mitten. Some of the things he said, it was just completely oblivious to him. Like when he was going on about, you know, that long unbeaten away record we had, yeah, you had that playing in stadiums that were empty. You know, it's it was absolutely meaningless. But he did set that culture of you know a bit of complacency, a bit of leeway. And Ten Hag has not completely eradicated it because there are still players there in that squad that he doesn't want. Just before we end this part, we need to give Rich a shout out because he wrote before the Bayern Munich game um, that David de Gea revisionism. It's it's basically very silly. Which I completely agree was, with. Which I completely agree mentioned with. mentioned at Carrington's set. Oh, well, there you go. And that Anana, obviously, fantastic replacement. And then what does he do? He makes you look a bit silly there, doesn't he? Anana himself, Rich. Yeah, he's dropping the ball. Famous, has he? Yeah. But, but like I said, look, I, I was going to tweet at the, at the time, but I was like, no, I can't be bothered. Don't want to get into it. I'm, I'm not bothered about it too much. But it's like, the, the Anana mistake was almost identical to De Gea's mistakes against Brentford and West Ham last season. So if, like, Onana might not be, you've, got, you've taken a short-term hit on terms of shot saving for someone who makes your play style completely different and long-term I think will be a benefit to United and De Gea's, De Gea wasn't just, didn't just have an issue in the end with his mistakes but it was not going for crosses, it was a thing he didn't always see as well and not commanding his area, the defence just sort of losing faith in him whatsoever anyway and like, De Gea's not got a club at the moment. I've not even playing in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, maybe I don't want you. Yeah, Nobody but again, wants. I'm not trying to disrespect De Gea because he's a United, maybe not legend. Maybe he is a legend. Oh, so, is, yeah. Say, yeah, you know, for yeah. what he did, he was world class for what three seasons in in a row. Yeah, I'd say maybe four. Longer. Yeah, yeah, you'd look at five. And there's no, I'm not having a goat there whatsoever. But they needed to make that ruthless call. They've made it now. You've you've got to just trust t- trust Ten Hag on this one. And you know, last season, you only have to go back to what was it June when Onana was the hottest goalkeeper in the world. You know, he's having an incredible performance in the Champions League final. Pep Guardiola was talking about how good he was. And, you know, I think, sorry, Samuel, but Onana had the uh, the best um, sort of, he had, I don't know what the wording is, but it's like expected saves or something in the Champions League. Basically, basically Inter Milan were expected, basically Onana, uh, Inter Milan were expected to concede 18 goals last season in the Champions League and they only conceded 10. 
which means they're not as good. For anyone who is listening and not watching, Samuel is cringing in the seat. I, I, had, a, I had a friend who messaged me during the buying game saying about how the XG of, of shots at United was so low, yet Anana had conceded all these goals. And I was thinking, what does it mean? There's a word I want to use, but I can't use it. If we're going to do Secret Santa in the office, we need to get uh, Samuel the XG Philosophy, that book, the famous book. Get, get him that for I'd whoever gets. He, he, he let in savable shots against Forrest, the first one, and Brighton, the third one. Yeah, I agree with that. The, the Bayern, uh, Sane's goal was the first howler. So there were three goals he should have kept out out of 14, which isn't great. But On stats as well, I was trying to shoot all this, this in somewhere. On the Rashford... I was doing some research. There'll be a piece out on Saturday morning on the MEN. Um, Rashford's had the second most shots out of anyone in the Premier League this season. I saw this, yeah. So he's obviously not lacking maybe confidence. He's maybe just lacking confidence in his teammates. But Haaland's got the most shots, uh, 29. <laughs> he scored seven goals. Rashford's only had six shots on target from 23 shots. So I think he had eight against Brighton. I think we, Ty and I were even counting. It was it must have been pushing double figures by the end of the game. Yeah, so Erling Haaland's had more goals this season. Rashford's had shots on target. <laughs> That's quite the start, isn't it? It's quite the start. Anyways, we rumbled on in that part. The podcast is going to be a bit lopsided. So we'll end up for part one and we'll be back in a moment for part two. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, Samuel, I'll come across to you uh, for the beginning of this part because you wrote the line today. There's a little bit of unrest coming from the dressing room. Can you expand on that and tell the listeners a bit more, please? There are this like night follows day when a team are losing and things are going wrong, things come out. That's the way it works. I'm sure there are fans out there who are outraged that there were, in inverted commas, leaks coming out of the dress room. The impression that is given by a lot of supporters is that as soon as things, as things are going wrong, players rush to journalists and they tell us about whatever, what's going wrong and this is a problem, that's a problem. It really isn't that simple. There are conversations had. It's very, very rare a player will go to a journalist directly and say, the, the manager's cocked up over this um, signing or this tactical decision. I mean, it'd be great if it did work that way, but honestly, we... The, DM, we the, the DMs get, are open. Yeah, <laughs> we, do not, we do not get close. And I, I mean, we do not get that close to them. Uh, a friend um, forwarded something about two players. It must be one of those two players. And I said, well, one of those players' agents uh, doesn't like me and the, the other player uh, doesn't like me, I can tell you. So... It's, it's Don't worry, Samuel. Right me, me and Rich like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, what, I mean, in terms of the issues that they've got, as I said, touched upon earlier, where Ten Hag is starting to criticise more specifically, although he's not naming names, he is essentially referring to the players. And this was happening before the Bayern Munich game, so people might be reading it as, um, oh, we, it, it, this must have come from Rashford or this, this must have come from Dallow. I was told this before the, the Bayern Munich game. Um, tactically, United feel the certain players feel like they're in a pickle now because where Anthony's out of the team, and I'm not saying that they looked upon Anthony as the saviour at all or anything like that, but where they've gone from having a left-footed winger, right winger who had experience of playing under the manager for for three consecutive seasons, including last season with United, that has that has been a massive shift. And of course, you saw last week they go to a diamond. It worked out well initially, but even during that period where they were dominating Brighton, 
we could see the spaces that Brighton weren't yet capitalising on um, and then eventually they did and they won. That's another issue. Uh, and and also um, favouritism. There is a perception among certain players that Ten Hag has his favourites that if they have made an error during a game, he will sidestep you know, going through the breakdown of a goal that's been conceded because he sees them as his loyalists or they're his perceived favourites. Um, I mean, for the record, I think United players shouldn't have a late stand on complaining about managers' decisions. Also, I think there has to be some accountability for Ten Hag as well because they have signed a lot of players. They have invested a lot during his time as well. The In terms of apportioning the blame, it has to go to the players, it has to go to the manager as well. But this will always happen in football, regardless of whether you've completely fumigated a dressing room and you've got rid of all the players that you didn't want and you've got all the players in that you do want. There will always be unhappiness when things are going wrong. And they've lost four games out of the last five. They're on a run of three consecutive defeats. If they lose at Burnley, I think it's the first time they've lost four in a row since December 2015 which was a period when Louis van Gaal gave his, you know, enjoy your wine, mince pie, uh, press conference. And <laughs> Great impression. It was a decent impression. I, I could do better as well. <laughs> uh, but but he, he, he was he was unravelling. He was cracking at that point, van Gaal. Ten Hag isn't. And at Carrington today, he came across very well. I mean, one of the journalists, one of the broadcasters, pointlessly, essentially gave him the opportunity to knock down a story, which isn't, isn't great. And he didn't knock down the stories. He um, he avoided that. So, as I said, I mean, it, it doesn't mean it's end of days for Ten Hag or anything like that. But I know how some some fans work with these things, and they they get very easily outraged about, as I said, in, in inverted commas, leaked stories. It, it it really isn't as simple as they think it is. With that said, Rich, does it concern you at all this? Um, because I feel like I've watched this film before. At Manchester United with Jose Mourinho Ali Gunnar Solskjaer Ralph Rangnick and um, yeah when that itself tells you why it's not the manager's fault because it keeps on happening well I completely agree I was going to say is there not an example still in the club of some unhealthy player culture and Eric Ten Hag is trying to root that out with so if Cristiano Ronaldo and the, the kind of discipline sort of Sancho he's, he's, he's a manager who's really trying to address this take it on and reshape the club so what what's your thoughts on that yeah I think he's doing as much as he can but obviously all these decisions have to stem from the top, don't they? You need to have that that same culture mirrored from top to bottom at the football club. Everyone pushing the same direction. No room for passengers at any level of, of the football club. And you know, ultimately, until that happens, you're going to be stuck in this vicious cycle. In terms of what's actually happening in the dressing room, like Samuel said, there, without going all sort of Roy Keane, this is you know, this is Manchester United. I'm not going to try to do the accent because I can't do it. But. Okay. But yeah, you, you're not going to offer it up? No, <laughs> okay. no, I, I don't mind my Van Gaal one. But yeah, no. we'll cash out there. But basically, you know, ultimately this is a team who are used to winning. I know you might say, well, they haven't been winning for the last decade, but they are they are an elite team who expect to win every single week. There's not a need to win, there's an expectation. that there isn't. There's not a want to win, sorry, there's an expectation to win every single week. And these are players who, most of them are internationals. Of course, they're not going to be happy if they're losing every week and if things aren't going their way. In a way... There's an element where you want some of your players to be sore losers. You don't want them to be gracious in defeat. You want them to be getting angry. You want it to... It needs to be child properly. You need to use it to, to go again, to bounce back properly. But, you know, I think, like someone said, there's obviously going to be different cliques and it's modern football. I do think that it has changed a lot. And 
there is sort of this dream scenario of people thinking that every player's got to be happy. Of course, even, not, even if you're winning, you're not playing every week. There's going to be players who aren't happy with that. And even in the very biggest clubs who are all who are winning every week, there's going to be players who aren't happy over their roles, feeling that there's favouritism and stuff. So I do just think it's a reflection of modern football. And like I said, I think Ten Hag is doing all he can really at this moment in time to, to try and change that philosophy and try to get United pushed in the direction he wants them to. But like I said, I think ultimately it stems from the very top of the football club. And there is still a whole issue of complacency from top to bottom at Manchester United. And you mentioned that every single manager goes through the same cycle and you have this thought where you think he's the Messiah, United are back, you know, where do you want your statue? How long do you want the contract? And then ultimately it all unravels. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Ted Hark. Exactly. But the fact that it keeps happening, they've tried every single manager, they've tried everything really, what stayed the same for all that, all that time. This was the point we were making earlier, Karen's like, he's, he's nowhere near, even if they lose at Burnley, he's not up for the sack. We all agreed that. Uh, Karen earlier and we said well if he was what do they do like is it oh get Roberto to Zerbi and yeah I mean as if they, the, the place just chews them up spits them back out there, there has to be an element of patience and understanding that at least with this manager he does have the authority there the players will not ride roughshod over him like they did with Solskjaer like they did with Rangnick who's only an interim anyway and, and with, with Mourinho the club backed a couple of players over him which was that that set a really dangerous precedent and that the authority of the manager was eroding over a four-year period until uh, until Ten Hag came in so at least he has that and that's why as I said earlier none of us even if they do lose at Burnley will be writing Ten Hag's on the brink or anything like that he's not He's not on thin ice. Is, is there a feeling that this has to work in the sense that the club have spent 400 million on, on Ten Hag. A lot of the players are his players yeah. and he's, yeah. he's pushed a lot for a, a lot of those players in that squad. Is, like someone said, that you can't just rip it up and go again because what, who, like, who would you actually go for after him? But if you'd see the, like, the scenario down the line this season, right? this isn't going to happen at, not anytime soon anyways, but in a nightmare scenario, they somehow they get rid of him, right? You've got that squad, and that is Ten Hag's squad. And this cycle, when's that going to stop? It just keeps on exactly. going. Exactly. You'd have to start from scratch again, and then you'd bring a new manager in. And he's got who, Ten Hag's players. That's, yeah, that's and, and like, just, like Ten Hag's been able to sort of be an off players who aren't in his vision, a new manager would then say, well, I don't want Ante. I don't want yeah. Casemiro. I don't want Ericsson. Exactly. And you start again. So what is the actual point? But again, it all stems from the very top and the fact that there is not that long-term plan in place anyway. So, you, you know, you... I'm not saying now, and we're all saying, you know, Tag, I don't see any sort of scrutiny of his future in the coming weeks, but if it got to the stage where he did get sacked, they wouldn't have a plan to replace him anyway. And who would you go for anyway? It's just, it's nonsense. And like we said, I think that his decision-making at times and maybe substitutions, his tactical layout can be a problem, but it's clearly not the problem at Manchester United. Yeah. I think the crazy thing about United as a club is that the last full season or full seasons where go through it and you thought there's not really there's not been a crisis period at all was when Mourinho was manager and obviously under Mourinho it was eventful on a weekly monthly basis but in his first two full seasons I don't think at any point there was a comparable crisis to what's going on at the moment what happened in Solskjaer's final months what happened under Rangnick what happened at the end of the 2018-90 season when Solskjaer was 
uh, the caretaker and then the permanent manager, it was in Mourinho's final months where obviously it was a crisis. But amazingly, in his first full two seasons, that it actually felt quite stable compared to, to recent times. If we go back to the playing side then, gents, uh, 14 goals conceded in, in six games. Rich, you said obviously Tenal has to take some responsibility for that because defensively they've not been good enough. They are contending with big injuries to, to big players. Uh, can we have a conversation about Casemiro again? Because Rich said in the first part, look, he scored two goals, but his performance was a bit disappointing in our thought. He's not controlling games like he did last season. And I think that's, for me, a very valid point. I think mean, it's probably the biggest criticism of him this time around. What have you thought about Casemiro, uh, Samuel, this campaign? I suppose in the Brighton game, it was like a testimonial performance and that he'd play the odd pass that got a round of applause, but then he was slow as anything to react to a loose ball or uh, or keeping the ball. Uh, he's He's been very sluggish and yet he's United's top scorer. Um, he has been isolated, no matter how they, they look at it. He's, he's looked slightly more comfortable with Ericsson back alongside him, but already that partnership you sense last season that that partnership was a one season only axis and it, it worked well for by and large you know Ericsson had a long time out a couple of months out with with an ankle injury but they were two worthy signings Casemiro was excellent Ericsson was very good but it did seem to have quite a short shelf life and there's a reason why United went out and signed what they thought was a central midfielder I still remain to be convinced that Mason Mount is a central midfielder. And where he's been injured, they're having to bring back in Ericsson. And Ericsson coming back in has coincided with a run of games where although he had to play, it's not ideal pitting those two against Arsenal, Brighton and Bayern Munich. And what has happened is that they've lost in, in all three. And really, it's not been a surprise. Going into those games, we United fans kind of ex borderline expecting losing those to lose those games probably um I, I think that's that's the disconcerting thing about United at the moment and yeah they they did spend a lot of money again this summer and this whole excuse that it's Gary Neville who really bangs the drum about the takeover every week when the ball is trickling along at Andrea Nana he's not worried about what Sheikh Hassim is thinking about his bid uh, when Scott McTominay's not jogging back, sorry, he was barely jogging. In fact, when he's not sprinting back, he's not thinking, gosh, Jim Ratcliffe's not said much in the last few weeks. It's absolutely nothing to do with the player's performance level. They're getting paid very well. They're in a closed environment. That is not a distraction to them. They still spend a hell of a lot of money in the summer. They got the three key signings in that the manager wanted. It's the manager's problem and the team's problem if the players aren't suited to it. Hoyland has... There's a positive impact on all three of these games. I think Mount is destined to end up on the right wing the way things are going. And speaking to James Robson, our, our Richard and I have fought my colleague um, who, who covered Chelsea during Mount's best period. He said he played his best on the right of a, of a front three. So I think logically he's going to have to end up there. And then you probably put Amrabat in with Casemiro to, to plug the gaps. And already that would be an admission of defeat because everyone knows Mount was brought to to play in midfield. So that that was going back to the story earlier. That's probably another element of the tactical adjustment where the, the plan presented to them at the start of the season has changed quite markedly, um, what, six or seven weeks, not even that, six weeks, five weeks into the season. So it's it's not ideal, but as, as we've touched upon before, 
the, the planning did seem all right in certain aspects. We'll come on to Burnley then in part three, but that'll be it for part two. So rich, turf mill, what a place. Saturday night, 8pm kickoff. What could go wrong, eh? Uh, sunshine and rainbows. Uh, we talked about the midfield. It almost feels like that midfield has to change with Burnley, doesn't it? Because Christian Eriksen, Casemiro and Fernandez. that's been the three for the last couple of games. And it's just not worked, has it? And as I've said, they've, they've failed to control games. They've been quite poor. So there's Sofian Arabat, obviously providing he's fit. There's going to be a late decision made on him. Does he come into the team? And as Samuel said, Mason Mount on the right wing. Is that a position you think you can excel in? Has he got the quality to play on that side? And I guess, it, is that probably the only the only answer, actually, on Saturday evening, providing that Mount's fit as well, obviously, because he is coming back from an injury? Yeah, like you said, a lot of it will rely on that, that early, early team news before before the game. And I think from Tahan's point of view, he needs to be seen to be making changes, just to even maybe appease some of that fan pressure. I know he said that he makes his own decisions and he's very ruthless in his own thoughts, but I think he knows that he needs to be seen to to adjust what, what's happening for this and it'd be interesting to see what sort of tactical layout United have because I know they're in poor form but this is a winless Burnley side uh, they've got a very good record against Burnley anyway historically in the Premier League and you can't be going to turf more looking to, to not lose you've got to go there and, and try and win I mean even was it when Solskjaer was under fire I remember them winning like 3-0 there Pereira scored a goal maybe or 2-0 2-0 yeah. Marshall scored the other I think like, tail end of 2019 19, yeah. the Oracle won't get it no. Really they were in that horrible snakes skin kit, I think. I, I believe when the United press officer that night who came up, sat behind us, she said, oh, I can read what Rich is writing. Yeah. yeah. That was the only person who read my piece in my game, <laughs> but, you know, it all counts. But, yeah, like you said there, Steve, I think we, there has to be that, that change going into this weekend. Amrabat, I think eventually it'll be him and Casemiro. I think United just need to have two players sitting deep, really, in their midfield at this moment in time. But I don't think he'd be thrown in and let... Like I said, when I went to open training on Tuesday, he was training alone and he wasn't even part of the group session. So I think he's still maybe a week or two off before he can actually be starting a game. Mount was part of that group along with Varane. I think it did say a lot that they weren't risked in Munich because arguably Burnley away is a bigger game for United to win because you do get second chances in the Champions League and losing away to Bayern is a bit of a free hit because everyone knew United's issues. Losing to Burnley is... It's not acceptable at all, no matter how many players are out injured. No offence to, to Burnley. So I think this weekend, Mount definitely will start for, for me. I think even if he wasn't fully fit, I think United need to throw him in really because they just need someone who does have that the ball-willing capabilities of him, the, the pressing that he does. He fits into Ten Hag's vision. He's Ten Hag's man. He, he needs to start playing games. And it is perverse though already that we're saying Mason Mount's the saviour. Sam wrote this week, I mean, his last appearance was the Tottenham game when he's really poor in that so yeah. he had a good first half and yeah. then tailed off and you know, on the flip side I mean Mount only had two games yeah so and what's two games yeah I mean like you, you need a chance to prove you can be an effective signing particularly to find his role because we still yeah. don't quite know where he's got to fit in like Sam said I think it will be on the right wing going forward but otherwise in the squad they are very limited with what they can do I mean the defence can't really change hopefully Varane for Lindelof but like Samuel said, you'd like to drop Dallow if you could, but you, you, you can't. In goal, I don't think you can drop Onana. I know you got Bayendo there, but... You're not going to be able to. You're not going to make that choice. Oh, yeah. Rashford will start on the left. Hoyland will start up top. So what can you really do with midfield? McTominay proved why he, he is the reserve option because, you know, he just is an unacceptable cameo appearance from him. I suppose, do I want to sort of go down the former colleague route and say, you're not the wrong to sell Fred? 
<laughs> but you, be careful because you'll have a Fred Sang shirt behind you soon yeah but I'll just yeah. be, you just look at the games that I've lost uh, away from home this season you look at he'd have been more of an asset than McTominay I agree and, and his, his best ever performances were against Tottenham he would have been good in the Arsenal game Bayern away you need someone like him being a pest in midfield what was it Mosquito he called him last season against yes. De Jong oh he's, he's the piano I carry the yeah, piano yeah I carry the piano so you know ideally you'd have Fred maybe but obviously he's not there anymore so you look at what he can do with the outer midfield I do think Maynou being injured I don't think it is tokenism that Ten Hag dropped his name into all time. I do think yeah. he can have a, a big role to play when he's when he's fit and back and running obviously that's a, a, a while away now he was training individually on Tuesday as well but United are just limited with what they can do. Like I said, I think Mount and Varane will come in from the start. But other than that, what what can you really do to that to that lineup? I can see Maynou having quite a big role in that if if Mount is shifted to the right, which I think he'll have to be, and maybe Ericsson will be very gradually phased out or used more sparingly, then Maynou is almost he's he's possibly the most creative mid the most prominent creative midfielder who comes to the fore because McTominay is going to be at the back of the queue. Maynard initially will probably be just ahead of him, but if, if you're swapping in with Ericsson and if Mount's playing on the right, then, I mean, Ten, Ten Hag told me in, uh, in August that he was, he was going to get opportunities, he was going to get chances. There was no way he was ever going to go out on loan. It's, it's just a pity for him that he got injured at the time that he did because he was having a very good pre-season. There was a lot of hope that he would, he'd have a big role to play in, in the first weeks and, and beyond. I'm just wary of the pressure building up on me and his shoulders already. Yeah, he's the, absolutely. He's 18 years old. He's obviously incredibly... It's one of those things, though, like, he's really young, but then every week we're saying, look how good Bellingham is, look how good Musiala is. There is an age where, you know... Well, you need some, a chance to show it. Yeah, if he shows it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, so I do agree with you that you have to temper your expectations. But I do also think that if you're an exceptional young player... You can't sort of say, oh, I want you to sign this youngster, that youngster, but let's be careful of our own. You know, if, you've got to give him a chance. Burnley then, Samuel, 3-0 uh, against Manchester City in the opening day, 3-1 against Aston Villa. These are defeats, by the way. Burnley, yes. haven't, <laughs> Burnley haven't won these games. Yes. Um, and then 5-2 against Big Andrews Tottenham. So I've conceded, what is that, 11 goals in three games against top eight sides. United have an excellent record against relegation fodder away from home, struggle against good teams away from home. Um, they should really win this game comfortably, shouldn't they? Yes, they should. Whether they will or not remains to be seen, but it, it's going to be a different Burnley to what, what, what they're used to encountering at, at Turf Moor in that it's, it's a more footballing Burnley side who, who did so, so superbly last season in the Championship. And, and in that City game, I think I watched the first half of the first, because of the first game of the season. I think between the goals, Burnley did quite well and they had a, maybe a couple of opportunities or half chances where if they were more more clinical not as rusty they, they might have made a game out of it and then City just took the game away from them and you can imagine they're going to be massively up for it because it's I mean, it should be a pretty good atmosphere Saturday night kickoff they're still winless that first win has eventually got to come at some point United are in poor form so they are going to be up for it and United are encountering a, a different Burnley as I say it's not the, the, the physical Burnley where you'd make adjustments I remember when they won there once under Mourinho and he brought Fellaini in the team because he was there to counter the long balls so he would he would be dropping deep and we're winning these aerial duels it's not necessarily as advisable to play Christian Eriksen because you're going to have more of the ball they, they should still have the majority of, of the ball but as I said it's it, you know, but Burnley are a pretty good football inside up into a level 
but you have to look at it as like, Burnley's goalkeeper was playing League One football last season. If you are losing to this team, you're in you're in dire straits. And it's interesting looking at the Premier League table already. There's always this myth that people say, oh, you know, that the, the league table takes a few months to settle and what have you. Ten games is the magical mark. If if you look at the bottom eight teams, it's it consists of the teams who are there by default. Either they got promoted from the championship and they've not got Premier League standard squads and the worst-run clubs in the country, United, Chelsea, Everton, Wolves as well, I suppose, to, to a lesser extent. That's not a coincidence. So it's, it's, it's a good test for United, but it's, it feels strange even saying that. It's a good test going to Burnley. Can you win at Burnley on a, on a Saturday evening? It should be food and drink, but it's it's never simple with United. When people ask if I like football, so is well, I have a bunch of them between us. What is it? When on the bus, I like travelling down. I like football, but Burnley, Burnley can leap. Yeah, but we're not going to say it. No, we're not. Advertising reasons. That's yeah. the producer flinches in the corner. Um, is it is it weird to say that United could actually be seeing the best effect on the counter attack in this game? which sounds absurd because it's Burnley at Turf Moor, but they're a proactive team. They play out from the back. Company wants them to play like that. Ten Hag wants United to play like that. He always says he wants them on the front foot. But they're often best counter-attacking, aren't they, when they're absorbing pressure with the pace. Hoyland and Rashford, two pacey players. And Rashford might actually pass the ball to Hoyland for once. We might, we might get a, a be a treat, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, like, like I said, that I'd, maybe for Saturday I'd still stick to Ten Hag's more controlling sort of philosophy. But I do think in general this season... You've got to play to your strengths. I think United have been guilty of not embracing the counter-attack of football because it's seen as sort of, that's what Solskjaer did. And he was technically inept and he came up short at times. But, you know, it worked. And it worked really well against some very big teams because United's strengths right now with so many injuries aren't keeping possession of the ball. It's not breaking teams down. It's the fact that, you know, they have got some very quick players. They're very good at getting the ball from back to front very quick. The transitions are fast. And yeah, I think that you've got to embrace embrace your counter-attacking uh, credentials a bit more. Maybe not this Saturday. I think, you know, again, if you're going to Burnley to set up to counter-attack, that is, that that is end of day game, stuff. But inevitably, but yeah. I reckon there will be little yeah, there will be moments the when they counter-attack. Yeah. In, in the United Talk, yeah. and they will have opportunities, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, like you said, I think that there does need to be maybe uh, an acceptance going forward that United need to not see it as a negative that counter-attack it. Obviously, you maybe have less of the ball, but it's what you do with it. There's no point United go into a, a game where they've got 80% possession, but they lose. What is the point of that? If you're not doing anything with the ball, there's no point having it anyway. So I think from from my personal point of view, I do think United need to embrace their, what their strengths are right now, particularly with, with injuries. But for me, against Burnley, like I said, I think it could be an avenue for United to get some joy in the counter-attack. But I do think it's a game where they need to stamp their authority because if they're not doing that away a winless Burnley, then what is the point? Forget about Burnley for a moment then, Samuel. Identity-wise, that's always been part of the club's identity, hasn't it? The kind of ruthless transition, counter-attacking. Even Sir Alex Ferguson's best teams, there weren't these passing sides that would dominate possession, 80%, 70%, like you see with Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. They had this kind of ruthless transition in them. I'm thinking Champions League, Barcelona 1-0, Paul Scholes, that was a masterclass last night where, that night where they soaked up the pressure. And that's always been part of the club. So the way Ten Hag wants to play is there always going to be an element of this and, and just fans need to accept, well, I think fans do accept it, but maybe in the media they accept that that's the way United are going to play. I suppose so. Well, that's I mean, the way they can compete mm, with the biggest Well, it is, yeah. 
Well, you well, think of some, some United's most famous of goals. They are those Rooney Ronaldo counterattacks as well, aren't they? Yeah. And that is often looked at as, this is the heyday, bring it back, total 90 boots, Premier League years. It's just not fashionable anymore, that's the thing, but it's effective. Th- there were two goals in the 90s where they came from thrones from Peter Schmeichel. One, I think one was with Kuchelskis at QPR, another one was actually Solskjaer finished it against um, your, your favourite team, Sunderland. Uh, and they have always, they have, as long as I've been watching football, United have had that counterattacking identity. What that team also had in the 90s were players who could also control games. Keane, he was actually a brilliant... I say actually, everyone knows he was a brilliant player, but he was a brilliant passer of the ball. You could give him the ball, and I, I don't think I'm overstating it. If he if he had to play like Chabby, he could do, no problem. He was also hard as nails, and he would leave one on players, but he knew how to work a, a, a football and how to keep an attack going... And they, the reason why they got so many late winners as well was that they were a patient team. They would not panic. Even though the clock was ticking down, they would throw the kitchen sink at it, but they would do it in a very constructive way. It wasn't just going long ball all the time. It would be patient play. It would be recycling the ball. It would be using it in a very productive way and probing, eventually getting that breakthrough through, more often than not, quality goals, whether they were across or whether they were like, a long lateral pass so by all means embrace the counter-attacking side of it but what teams win things being a counter-attacking team I don't mean outright I mean blending those elements is obviously that's, that's, key that's yeah. the issue yeah. You're, you will only get so far playing that way as Solskjaer discovered I mean that was United's one tactic and it was again what, what he said in that interview with, with Andy in the week he was talking about you know, we had some good games where we would control it against Marcelo Bielsa's leads. Like, okay, yeah, it's Marcelo Bielsa's leads. Wrexham could control it against uh, and, and he was I forgot far as I had to. Against Carlo Ancelotti's Everton. I'm thinking, you, you did, and you played really well that day, but you also playing very well at Goodison Park where all four stands were empty. And Goodison Park, empty and full, is, is obviously it's, it's a completely different place and United got thumped for yeah. and the again the thing is with Solskjaer it's almost the reverse of Ten Hag where he was always beating the big teams but they just couldn't break down the smaller teams yeah. because they were so reliant on counter-attack and football that if when Sheffield United come to Old Trafford and they just sit back you can't break them down so like Simon said it is the that marriage of being lethal when you've not got the ball and get it back to front really quick but there's going to be so many games, more games than there's not, when there's an onus on you to attack and break teams down at Man United and United need to, to marry that together. It was interesting watching the end of the Brighton game last night against A. Athens, who Athens won at Brighton, and they were so, so deep. And Brighton were clearly struggling to break them down because they're not used to playing against teams where they have that much of the ball. Against United, United are so disjointed, so loose, there are gaps in behind where players are getting drawn out of position that they were able to exploit it. Athens were not that. They were very, very obdurate. The only goals Brighton scored were two penalties and they were, they were struggling. They were, uh, you know, obviously, I think Solly March ended up having a shot that was wayward. There were 13 minutes of added time and they were never looking close to, to getting that breakthrough. So that just goes to show when, when a team that good... Um, struggling in, in in an instance in a, in a game where they're expected to win where they're having more of the ball it does tell you that it's a, it's a difficult thing to master and that's why I mean it's why Guardiola's the, the greatest coach of the century and it's why City are the best team on the planet because they can master that and if they need to play counter-attack and play they can do as well if they need to go direct they can do I mean it was 
it was perverse to even think it last season. There was a game, it was a Palace away, where they, they won 1-0 with a penalty from Haaland. And you thought, if they hadn't have got the penalty, there was no way they were winning that game because Palace actually had their number that night. But with Haaland, they, they've shown that willingness to go direct. They can mix it up. And that's the makings of a, of a great side. If you can play in a, in a variety of ways... You, you're not only going to go far, you're going to have a clean sweep of things. And that's what United used to do. And they're nowhere near that at the moment. Now, my flatmate told me this when I was watching the Brighton game last night. So take this with a pinch of salt. But he said, Brighton are the only team in the Premier League not to have sent a, a goal kick long this season, which is quite the start, actually. It just shows Jason Steele always passes out from the back, obviously. Um, I tweeted out after that game and I said, does, does, Athens, does this mean Athens would beat Manchester United? Some replied saying, this is literally the most unintelligent tweet I've ever seen. Which <laughs> is quite yeah. a statement considering Twitter. No, it was a joke. It most unintelligent tweet so far. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, again, like you said there though, the fact that it's only Brighton that haven't gone long, again, shows that Man City can go long when they have to, or they go short because they can adapt and play so many different ways. So again, to bring it sort of full circle, Ten Hag's got his philosophy, but it can't only be just to play it one way because there'll be instances where it, it comes short. So what we're seeing is Manchester City are quite good on that, basically. Thank you very much for your time, gents. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you. And thanks to the listeners. As usual, check uh, across on our YouTube channel where we're taking over nicely with subscribers. Head across to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. to hear the Manchester is Red podcast. Have a great weekend. Take care.